Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, and we will begin with a scripture reading of of the passage. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 to 18. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered year every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they would not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers having once been cleansed would no longer have any consciences of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of goats and bulls to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings, and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. On April 11th, 1970, the seventh mission to the moon was launched on the ill-fated Apollo 13. And as we know, as the shuttle was launched into space, uh, shortly thereafter, one of the oxygen tanks exploded, causing catastrophic damage to the ship, and the mission was aborted. However, in outer space, it's not simply a matter of making a U-turn. They would actually have to continue all the way to the moon and use the moon's gravity uh, to slingshot them back to Earth. Millions were glued to their TVs as the three astronauts on board uh, struggled to survive, trying to overcome major obstacles like lack of oxygen and severe cold. And at the same time, the, the ground crew of NASA was working furiously uh, they were, every time there was a problem coming up, they, they got together and they, and they sorted things out. And as we know, 
uh, they made it safely back to Earth. Well, because the story was so dramatic, uh, movie makers wanted to make a movie of it. And so they sat down and they interviewed the flight director, uh, Gene Krantz. And they're, they're, as they're interviewing him, they had a burning question. At any point during this whole dramatic scenario, wasn't there a time when like everybody, or at least a few people, just panicked? And Gene's answer was no. Whenever there was a problem, we just laid out all our options. And failure was not one of them. Well, our movie directors now have their line, don't they? All right, failure is not an option. And this slogan would be so popular that you'd see it now on, on bumper stickers and even the title of movies. However, we're going to see this morning that in regards to our own salvation, this slogan will spell disaster. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to your word this morning, we pray that you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you'd have for us this morning. So bless our time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. In our text this morning, the, the problem that we're, we're running into is a carryover from, from verse or chapter 9, that the believing Jews are still sacrificing. They're still performing the sin sacrifice sometime after Jesus has died and rose again. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never been tempted to perform a sacrifice. I've never butchered an animal. I've seen it done before, but the meat that goes on our kitchen table, it comes from the grocery store. And the closest I've ever come to a burnt offering came last winter when I burned a nine-pack of sausages to a crisp. I think you could see the flames in Petrolia. It was so bad the dog wouldn't even eat them. And all those sacrifices might not be something we readily identify with. There are some lessons to be learned in what the Jews were going through. We're not told exactly why they continued sacrificing. There, there could have been many reasons, I suppose. Maybe the Jews were doing it out of habit. It just wasn't something they'd doing for thousands of years. Maybe it was a matter that their, their conscience needed to be trained. Or maybe they aren't clear on some theological aspects. But whatever the reasons, the writer of our text is trying to clear up some very key aspects regarding the sin sacrifice. Look to Hebrews 10 verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. The yearly sacrifice was a sacrifice that took an animal, killed it, shed its blood, and offered it to God as an appeasement for their sin. The blood of goats, bulls, or lambs would, in a provisional way, cover their sin from the eyes of God. And Pastor Kevin went over this in detail last week. As far as the power the sacrifice went to remove sin, it essentially did nothing. So much effort. So much work for very little effect. If they were effective, says the writer of Hebrews, why did you have to keep doing it? And this is the rhetorical question asked in verse 2. Otherwise, if they were so effective, would they not have ceased to have been offered? 
since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? If it worked so well, wouldn't just one sacrifice have covered the sin? But it didn't. And you had to keep sacrificing again and again, year after year. So what were they instituted for? Why did God give such an ordinance if it was going to be so ineffective? Listen to Psalm 40, verse 6. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Or again in Isaiah 1, verse 11. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings and rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. Isaiah 6 continues, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Need I go on? Not only was God seldom pleased by the sacrifice, the ritual never ushered you into the presence of God. No matter how well you obeyed, how well you lived, or carried out the sacrifice, it would still only be the high priest who entered into the presence of the Lord. Shadows. All of it. Nothing like the reality of Christ. So why did the Lord set all these signs up if they were so ineffective? Instead of signs and images and shadows, why didn't Christ just come back sooner? Did you ever wonder this? Why set up all the images, the types, the symbols, the signs? Why not just give the real thing right from the beginning? Think of it. And when Pharaoh has the slaves instead of Moses, why not just send Christ? Right? Christ can come back and he can do the miracles. And he can save his people and then atone for their sins. And it's done. Or what, what about the chaotic time of the judges? Why not just come back then? Show the people the way to heaven to heaven from earth, make restitution for their sin, send the Holy Spirit, have a relationship with your people. Or the time of the kings, or the Babylonian exile, and the list goes on. Why was there so much history between the law and the Redeemer? Why all the rituals, the signs, the sacrifice? There are many good reasons for our Lord's timing. However, we're going to look at two powerful reasons for the sign of the sacrifice in God's timing as they relate to our text. And the first reason God allowed so much time and gave so much in the way of law and reminders was that human nature simply needs to fail. When it comes to God's salvation plan, we need to fail. We need to see examples of failure. We need to give it everything we've got and come up flat. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 10, excuse me, 10. Now these things, this is throughout the Old Testament, took place as examples for us. Well, why the examples? That we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written. 
the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Not just one example of God's chosen people, but example after example, account after account of people trying to make it their own way and failing. Sometimes they failed because they turned from the Lord. And sometimes they failed because they wanted holiness on their own terms. They wanted to work for it. To earn it. And in doing so, attempt to make saving spirituality out of things that God did not. Over time, they would begin to venerate the signs that God had set out for them, only to miss what they were pointing to. And now, in the New Testament, this is what the Jews were doing, the sin sacrifice. They were taking something that was designed to show the need of a Savior and turning it into spiritual law. These past two years, we just saw the struggle in many hearts and minds when churches were locked down. There was a temptation by some across Canada to take our assembling together and turn it into a spiritual law. And I'm sure you heard about this as it was making the evening news. God's laws are higher than man's laws, was the cry. So they wouldn't have to obey the shelter-in-place order. Going to church is God's law? If we had to gather, not of our own free will, out of our love for the Lord, but because we were forced to by the law of Moses, it would suck the life right out of our gathering. And well done, people's church, that you didn't adopt this way of thinking. We're not here this morning because we have to be. What a burden. We don't come to church because it's the law. Quickly look down to verse 24 and 25 where the writer addresses this. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider, that is, let's use our imaginations. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. We gather to stir one another up to good works. We gather here to worship. We gather to fellowship. We gather to encourage when we see a war in the Ukraine, or when the stock market falters, or food prices rise. We gather to cheer one another on to holiness, to reassure one another all the more as we see the day approaching. Amen? To take something beautiful and godly that directs us and helps us focus on and worship the Lord and to turn it into some sort of law was the very thing the Jews were doing. And it always ends in spiritual deadness. As a result of this, their view of the sacrifice became skewed. It's as if by performing it, it would somehow make them more holy. But here's the irony. Look to verse 3. 
But in these sacrifices, there was a reminder of sin every year. Not only did the sacrifice not make you more holy, it pointed to the opposite. Verse 4, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Not only did it not save or wipe away sin, it shouted out that you were a sinner in need of grace. Give it your best effort, but church won't save you. Membership won't usher you into the kingdom. Baptism won't remove your sin. In saving ourselves through whatever method, failure is the only option. Only the perfect sacrifice of Christ, who by bearing our sin on the cross has the power to save. Yet we as a species are slow learners, and the lessons of sin, hopelessness, depravity, and inability to save ourselves need to be drilled into our collective heads again and again. Even when others fail before us, it doesn't seem to register with our humanity. Sometimes our hardness takes the form of a chronological snobbery. After all, what did they know thousands of years ago? They didn't even have Google or Siri to answer all their questions. Them and their foreign gods. It's ridiculous. We're in the 21st century. Now, if I would live back then, I never would have followed a foreign god. This is us. This is our, our human nature, and it doesn't like losing. And I know you failed. But if I had been there, during World War II, when Germany had invaded and occupied France, uh, after the fact they'd built uh, a massive wall, a massive fortress on the coast of France uh, to prevent a counter-invasion by the Allies. And this wall uh, was bristling with machine guns and, and artillery support. Well, in August of, of 1942, the Canadians made an attempt at the small town of Dieppe to breach this wall. Hours later, 60% of the 6,000 soldiers that were sent were either killed or wounded, and the defenses still stood. And although a tragedy and a military disaster, the most exasperating part was yet to come. The Americans, rather new to the war, refused to learn from the Canadian defeat and attempted the same raid with the same template, only to end up with the same devastating result. I can almost hear the American commander storming the beaches, failure is not an option. I know you tried. We can even find this in church life. I remember some years ago when I was a new elder, when a number of people were speaking into an individual who had fallen headlong into sin, elders, deacons, even some of his best friends were engaging with him, but he wasn't coming around. And I remember thinking, if only I got the chance to talk to him. I've got some good insights. I've got some things I could share. Man. Well, I got my chance. And my pearls of wisdom bounced off his heart 
and rolled into the storm drain. What was I thinking after so many had gone before me? I know you all tried. It's in politics, too. And maybe some of you can identify with my daydream here. If only I had been Premier of Ontario during the time of COVID. Eh? <laughs> all right? We would have listened to the true science. And we would have led in grace and wisdom. And there would be next to no death and the land would be in peace and harmony. Oh, why didn't God put us in charge? It's a real mystery. Time after time, where so many others didn't measure up, but we would have done it right. How many examples do we need to prove to ourselves that this simply isn't true? We would not have done it right. Our current lack of perfection stands ready to testify to this very fact. How many examples will it take that when it comes to saving ourselves from sin, failure is the only option? It seems to be the only way we learn. No matter how hurting or destitute, if our flesh can find any other lifeline outside of Christ, we'll take it. The Jews were looking to sacrifices and law to save them from sin. But what are you looking to? What's going to save you? Maybe you're not looking to spirituality, but a physical means of salvation. Looking to the government for security. Maybe the military in these uncertain times. Some food storage, perhaps, or financial security. Yet the fact remains... That looking to save ourselves, whether physically or spiritually, outside of the Lord, is a distinction without a difference. Simply different sides of the same coin. To look to spiritual or physical means, both reveal a troubling misunderstanding of who God is and his sovereign power. In China, 1976, the communist Dictator Mao took power. Bad news on all fronts. The economy could no longer save them. The government could offer no refuge. The revolution resulted in violence and disaster. They had nothing left. There was no more lifelines. And then, when there was nowhere else to turn, when failure was the only option, Something dramatic happened. They turned to Christ, and a revival was born. And yes, Canada is going through some interesting times. But what an opportunity to share the message of hope in Christ. Just this past week, I heard reports of how the church in Ukraine is suddenly having major opportunities for the gospel. What's your hope? Are you clinging to lifelines that are passing away? What's your message to your coworkers and friends? 
I hope you're known for the message of Christ. The sacrifice pointed to sin and failure. It demonstrates a lesson, even for us today, that there is no work. There is no ritual that is able to remove our sin. However, there is a second, much more positive benefit to the Old Covenant sacrifice, and that it was an object lesson. A picture that the perfect Lamb of God would have to be the sacrifice. That Christ would have to save. That Jesus would have to be the sacrifice was taught right from the example of Abraham, who took his son up to perform the sacrifice without a lamb. And Isaac, naturally being a little curious, begins to ask his dad, My father, behold the wood and the fire, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And then we have Abraham's prophetic reply. Right? You know this. God himself will provide the lamb. Look to verse 5. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. A physical human body now prepared for Christ. A body that could experience the entirety of human experiences, pain, temptation, the ability to relate, and most importantly in this respect, the experience of death. And now again in verse 6, in case there was any doubt, in burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, and this is Christ speaking, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. It's not hard to imagine this dialogue between God the Father and God the Son happening right before the incarnation. Right before God taking on flesh. Right before Mary conceived. I have come to do your will. Now look to verse 10. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Why did God delay so long? Here's the culmination of all the centuries, the examples, the tests, the failures, the rituals, the object lessons. Christ would have to save, and in salvation, Christ has done it all. Verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. One sacrifice. Just one. And the power of this sacrifice is found starting in verse 16. And this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their hearts and write them on their minds. And then he adds, verse 17, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. It is finished. If we can surrender our lifelines 
and trust in the sacrifice of Jesus for our sin, it's over. Salvation's work is done. And we can be at peace with God. It might be a, a little difficult still to relate to our forebearers as the animal sacrifice has been done away with for a long time. However, we'll st- we're still commanded to reenact the sacrifices often as we meet together. Of course, I'm speaking of the Lord's table. There's actually some interesting similarities. As we read before, the Old Testament sacrifice was designed not to save, but to be a reminder of sins year after year. And in the same way, we have this at the Lord's table, where Paul invites us to a time of self-reflection to see if there's any sins to remember our sins, to remember that we're fallen and that we need a savior. The second is the object lesson. The object lesson of the Old Testament sacrifice that God would send a lamb. It's pointing forward. God will provide a lamb. And now in the reenactment of the Lord's table, Again, a reminder that God did send a lamb on our behalf. One who was sacrificed in our place so that we could be forgiven. We live in a time that is afraid of failure. Our time despises failure and hurt. And our society often goes through great lengths to avoid it. My daughter's soccer league didn't keep score. There was no winning or losing, no tournaments, no medals, no distinctions. Many other sports leagues went the same way. Everyone gets the participation ribbon because failure might hurt our feelings. Well, failure is hurtful. Failure is painful. Yet it's at the very heart of the gospel. To die to ourselves and to fail towards the Lord is the entrance into his kingdom. Only Jesus can save. And in salvation, he has done it all. In saving yourself, have you failed? Are all your lifelines spent? Have you come to the end of yourself and placed your trust in the sacrifice of Jesus? For salvation, failure is a prerequisite. To come to the saving power of Christ, failure is the only option. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we thank you for your word, although it's a difficult subject. Lord, our, our will wants to win, to make it on our own power. But your word shows example after example that our own winning will only lead to disaster. Lord, so oddly enough, we 
ask for help. Lord, help us to fail, to let go of our lifelines and to place our trust in you. Lord God, we thank you for sending Jesus to be the perfect sacrifice. Lord, that we can have peace with you. And we give you all the praise and glory for our redemption. In Jesus' name, amen.